this side of our Easter. You this side of our Easter? Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise and worship for that. It's going to be a great time. It's going to be a great, great, great day. All right, let's get into the Word this morning. Let's get into the Word. Are you ready to get into the Word? Anybody ready to get into the Word this morning? All right, all right, all right. Let's get my sermon here. Get this thing open. Let's do this. Let's do this. We are continuing, of course, our series on good news. This morning we're going to talk about the Lord of the Sabbath. The Lord of the Sabbath. Let me ask you a question. What does it mean that Jesus is Lord? What does it mean that Jesus is Lord? Well, first we have to understand the the basic meaning of the word Lord. What does Lord mean? In the New Testament, the word Lord comes from the Greek word kurios. And kurios literally means master. So Lord means master. It means the one in control, the one in charge, the owner, the ruler, the sovereign, the king, the chief. Lord means the one with authority. The one with authority. In the Hebrew scripture, we see Lord used in two different ways. So if, you, if you've read through the, the Old Testament, you see Lord used in two different ways. Sometimes you see the word Lord and it's all caps, like capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And sometimes you see the word and it's capital L, lowercase o, lowercase r, lowercase d. But when it's all capital letters, that is actually a rendering of the name of God, Yahweh. And when it's just the first letter capitalized, it's actually a title of God, name of God, Adonai. Now, the thing is, both of these have to do with God being the one in authority. One is his name, Yahweh. The other is is, is more like a, a title, like an official title, kind of like a president. You could say President Biden, right? And so you would capitalize the P. Well, he's Lord God, so you capitalize the L. They demonstrate the authority and lordship of God. So what does it mean that Jesus is Lord? Well, simply it means this, that Jesus is the one with authority. So let me ask you this morning, is Jesus your Lord? The questions, as the Pharisees would find out, is not, is Jesus Lord? The question is, is Jesus your Lord? And so this morning, we're going to look at Jesus and the Sabbath. And he is, he is confronted by the Pharisees on multiple occasions about, quote-unquote, working on the Sabbath. So we're going to look at a couple instances this morning uh, in Luke chapter 6 and an instance in Luke chapter 14 about Jesus working on the Sabbath, the Lord working on the Sabbath. Have you not read, Jesus is going to say. Last week we looked at the story of David and the bread of the presence, right? How David ate the bread of the presence according, but according to the law, only the priests were supposed to eat that bread. But, but David ate that bread. He, he broke the law. Ahimelech allowed him to go ahead and eat that bread, even though he wasn't allowed to. And Jesus is actually going to apply that story that we looked at last week to his disciples. So let's do this. Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. On a Sabbath, who knows what a Sabbath is? Sabbath means seven. And so on the seventh day, 
Sabbath is actually Saturday, because that's the seventh day of the week. It's a Saturday. And then in the Old Testament, on the Sabbath day at creation, the creation story, on the seventh day, God rested from all of his work. And so the Sabbath has its roots in the resting of God in the creation story. And so as God rested on the Sabbath day, he told his people to rest on the Sabbath Sabbath day and to take that day to remember the holiness of God. And so it was on a Sabbath day that Jesus passed through the grain fields. His disciples were picking heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands and eating them. Now, this act of rubbing them in their hands, the Pharisees considered work. And so some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, haven't you read what David and those who were with him did when he was hungry? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. He even gave some to those who were with him. And then he told them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. So the disciples here in this story, they're, they're plucking grain on the Sabbath. They're, they're rubbing it in their hands. They were hungry. Now the Pharisees claim that they are breaking the law by working on the Sabbath. I need you to stay with me this morning. The Pharisees had all kinds of laws on top of the law that God gave Moses. The law that God gave Moses simply said, honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. But in order to follow the law that God gave Moses, the Pharisees had created all kinds of regulations to make sure that no work was done. You guys know about adding regulations to keep from breaking the law. Governments and agencies like to add regulations all the time to prevent law from being broken. The Pharisees were the same, right? Picking corn was reaping. Reaping was work, so no picking corn. Walking on grass was threshing. Threshing was work. So no walking on grass. It would go on and on and on. So, of course, the Pharisees accused Jesus' disciples of breaking the Sabbath law. Because Jesus allowed his disciples to pick the grain, rub it in their hands. That was work. And then eating on the Sabbath. Now, the Pharisees... The disciples were picking the grain, but it was the Pharisees who were really being picky. Are you really going to let them pick grain and eat on the Sabbath, Jesus? And what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do? I love this. Because Jesus asks them a simple question. And yet, this question, Jesus is all up in their face when he asks them this question. He simply asks this, haven't you read about David and the bread of the presence? That's like asking a lawyer if he is familiar with case law. That's like asking a a cop if she is familiar with Miranda rights. That's like asking a preacher if he's ever had fried chicken. We all know that we should know those things, that they know those things. These Pharisees are teachers of the law. It's their life. It's their training. It's what they went to school for. Haven't you read about David, Jesus asked them? Of 
course they'd read about David. Of course they'd heard about David. But here's the thing. They read the scriptures and saw bondage. Jesus read the scripture and saw freedom. How do you read scripture? Do you see God working to bring freedom? Do you see God working to bring about human flourishing? Now, this this may change your perspective, but there are no negative commands And you say, well, what about all the thou shalt not? All the thou shalt not are positive. They They were not given to destroy. They were given to bring life. They were not given as a negative. They were given as a positive. They weren't given to destroy. They were given to bring life. Thou shalt not kill. Not a negative. It's life-giving. It preserves life. Keep the Sabbath. That's not negative. That's restful. That's life-giving. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Don't lie. Honor your parents. Don't covet. Those are not negative. Those are positive. Those bring life. They bring hope. They bring peace. They bring joy. They are not negative commandments. They are positive for a flourishing life. Even our God-designed anatomy, our biology, our gender identity, our designed sexuality, all God's created intent for sex and marriage and singleness, all life-giving, all positive. Not only for the individual, but for the community and for society. God's created design for human sexuality are positive. But here's what Jesus challenges his faith. Challenging how they read Because when we turn the commands that were intended to produce life and hope and freedom into ways to sit in judgment and keep people out of the kingdom, we've missed the heart and the intent of God and of saying that holy living does not matter. I am saying that condemnation and judgment doesn't produce holy living. It doesn't produce holy living either in the one passing judgment or in the one being judged. When Jesus says, have you not read, he is inviting the Pharisees to read it again. He's inviting the Pharisees to look at it again, to read it again and see the mercy of God, to read it again and see the provision of God giving the bread, to read it again and see the invitation of David for the common to be included for what was only intended for the holy, to read it again and see the inviting of God for all to taste and see that the Lord is good, that those who who, who could be included, that, that what God had given was not for a select few, but that could be able to taste and, and enjoy the presence of God. To read it again and see a better, bigger God with a better, bigger plan of who could come in. So Jesus asked, did you read what David did? Filling the 
quenching hunger is wise wisdom. Filling the hunger is fulfilling the law. And Jesus says that he is Lord over the law. He is Lord of The law was not intended to be a barrier to knowing God. God does not want to keep people out of his presence. Jesus is God offering the showbread, offering the bread of his presence to everyone who is hungry. Jesus is God offering the bread of his presence to all those who are on the outside of the temple. The bread of the presence wasn't meant to be ultimately kept from the people, but all could eat and become kings and priests of God. There is no victory for the hungry until we take the bread of life. Jesus is Lord of the sacrifice. And Jesus is offering bread And Jesus is saying that the law isn't God, but that God is over the law. And the law intended not to keep you from God, but to point you to God. Luke wants us to see something else about this Sabbath controversy. And still have your Bibles out open to Luke chapter 6, 62-6, Sabbath and the self-righteous. The 6, the Sabbath, and the self-righteous. So it's after this story that Luke tells us of, of the disciples picking and eating the grain on the Sabbath day. There's this other story of another Sabbath controversy. It's in Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 6. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The scribes and Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath so they could find a charge against him. Let's, let's just read that again. The scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath so they could find a charge against him. But he knew their thoughts and told the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand here. So he got up, stood up, and then Jesus said to him, I ask you, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil? To save a life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he told them, stretch out your hand. And he did, and his hand was restored. They, however, were filled with rage and started discussing with one another what they might do to Jesus. I, I, I love this part of the story. Because Jesus heals this man. You, you read the story with me. But they were thinking, trying to trap him, trying to look. Jesus healed this man, at least in part, simply to tick off the Pharisees. You going to see what I'm going to do? You going to see it on the hill? All right. Let's do it. I love that. Here's one way you can identify a Pharisee. You ready? They get ticked off when religious rules are broken en route to bringing healing to the broken. 
Here's, here's another way you can identify a Pharisee. They'd rather the sick stay sick than risk breaking some rules. Here's another way you can identify a Pharisee. They'd rather prop up their sacred cows than lift up the outcast. Jesus says there's a higher law. Is it lawful to do good or to do evil? Doing good is the higher law. Loving your neighbor is the higher law. Love is swinging a sword against the enemy. Love is a sword breaking the chains of bondage. Love is a sword delivering the captive. Jesus heals on the Sabbath because the law is only good if good is done by the law. Church, the church is only good when good is done by the church. God has called us to the same mission as Jesus. God has called us to do good, not to do evil. God has called us to bless and not to curse. God has called us to heal and not to leave sick. God has called us to save life, not to destroy it. Jesus in front of the Pharisees looks at the man with the withered hand and says, stretch out your hand. The man does it. The man was restored. The man was healed. And the Pharisees were filled with rage. And the Pharisees began to plot against Jesus. What kind of, what, what, what kind of people get more upset when a man is healed than when the man is restored? What kind of people would rather the broken stay broken than healed? What kind of believer would rather The unloved stay unloved and risk getting a little upset. God has called us to be more concerned with loving the law than what loving the law requires. Loving the law may be necessary. Pharisees went to plot against Jesus, but you know what Jesus did? Jesus went off the Sabbath. I love the, I love the quote by D.L. Moody. He says this, the object of the Bible is not to tell how good men are. The object of the Bible is not to, to, to measure people and say, oh, this person is this good, this person is this good. The object of the Bible is not to tell, is not to be able to tell how good men are but to tell how bad men can become. Are we doing good? Are we saving lives? Are we loving the lost? Or are we more concerned with religious rule-keeping? Are we more concerned with not upsetting societal norms? On the first Sunday of March, 1965, a group of about 300 gathered at Brown Chapel AME Church, Selma, and proceeded through the town to the Edmund Pettus Bridge. 
At that point, number of marchers had swelled to 600. As they crossed the span from Selma toward their date with destiny, at the end of the bridge stood Alabama State Trooper. And a hastily organized vigilante band mounted on horses under the direction of Major John Plow, refusing to speak to Williams, who was unduly smart, the cloud ordered the marchers to disperse, after which gas canisters were thrown into the crowd. Troopers and horsemen armed with clubs assaulted the protesters who then fled back to Selma. During the pandemonium that reigned throughout the afternoon, hundreds of nonviolent protesters were injured. They were treated at Good Samaritan Hospital and a local clinic, and the remaining protesters gathered for a rally at Brown Chapel. It became known as Bloody Sunday. They were there protesting segregation, voting rights, Jim Crow laws. They were Christian men and women who saw that the law was not good. But there was a better law, a good law. Martin Luther King Jr. would later talk about just and unjust laws and, and a higher moral law of doing good to your neighbor. That a law that doesn't do good to your neighbor is just unjust. Where did he get those ideas? is the higher law. Have you not read the story of David eating the showbread? Is it, is it, is it better for me to, to, to do good or to do evil? Which is, which is just? Which is righteous? Which is holy? Which is good? Which would God do? with the protesters, or would God be on the other side on the horse? Love is the higher law. Love lifts up. Love heals. Love restores. Love helps. Love, listen, love does not excuse sin, but love invites the sinner to the table. Jesus was always willing to ruffle some feathers to help those who needed his help. See, that's why you and I are here this morning is because Jesus was willing to ruffle some feathers. Had Jesus not been willing to ruffle some feathers, we would not be welcomed into the family of God. Jesus was willing to extend salvation to every man and woman, regardless of their heritage, their Jewish nationality, 
all are welcome and invited to come in because Jesus came to fulfill the law. Jesus was willing to offer bread to the common. Jesus was willing to reach out to the broken. Jesus was willing to show a better law and establish a better covenant. Jesus is the bread, and he swung that sword to set us free. Is it lawful to heal or not? Is it lawful to heal or not? That's what Jesus says in this last story. It's one more instance of Jesus getting in trouble for doing good on the Sabbath. I know this message is a whole lot different than last week's message. Last week I got to literally swing a literal sword. This week I'm just swinging swords across the world. chapter 14, verse 1. On Sabbath, when he went into each of the house of one of the leading Pharisees, they were watching him closely. There in front of him was a man whose body was swollen with fluid. In response, Jesus asked the the law experts and the Pharisees, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? He's already been getting in trouble for healing. Already been getting in trouble for healing on the Sabbath. So Jesus is just going to be like, here's this guy. He's sick. Let me just ask you, is, is, is it lawful for me to heal this man or not? What should I do? You guys have seen me heal. You guys know that I can heal. You've seen it. You, you, you've heard stories. You've watched it. You have seen people with withered hands. Their hands are healed. You've seen the dead raised. You know I can do it. But let me just ask you, should I do it for this guy? It's the Sabbath, of course. Don't want to break the law. But they kept silent. And he took the man, healed him, and sent him away. And to the Pharisees he said, Which of you whose son or ox falls into a well will not immediately pull him out? they could find no answer. There's something we see about Jesus. He's at the Pharisee's house. Jesus does not hide from his enemies. Jesus does not hide from those who want to destroy him because he came to bring a greater law. And if the lawyers have the law wrong, Jesus is going to hang out with the lawyers hoping that they'll catch on and, 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 and fix their interpretation. But there's something about Jesus. He, he doesn't hide from his enemies. He doesn't shrink back pro, from proclaiming the truth. He doesn't cower in fear of those who had power because he understood who he was. Jesus spoke truth through power. He even challenged and questioned these leaders. Listen. Our error falls into two categories, into one of two categories. We often either err on the side of liberalism or we err in the side of legalism. 
We are often too easy on sin, or we're often too hard on sinners. Jesus does not have this problem. Jesus never excuses sin, and he also never ostracizes the sinner. Jesus is equally full of grace and truth. It's not that grace and truth were balanced within him. Scripture says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. Not that, not that it, was, it was balanced within them. Not that it was balanced within them, but that they were equally full of grace and truth. Equally full of grace and truth. What's that mean? Often we think of, of this balance, like we've got we've to make sure we have the right balance, that we're offering enough grace and that we're offering enough truth. Jesus did not worry about the balance because Jesus was equally full of grace and equally full of, of truth. It's that he is full, equally full. So when Jesus asks these questions, when Jesus challenges their authority and he heals this man on the Sabbath, it's because I, uh, this, this gets me so excited. I would... I, I was so excited about this sentence I'm about to tell you guys that I had to text it to a friend and he had to shout with me. Listen to this. When Jesus asks these questions, when Jesus challenges the authority of the Pharisees and when he heals this man, it's because both truth and grace demand this action. Truth and grace demanded Jesus heal him. It wasn't because Jesus healed him because he's just graceful. It wasn't that Jesus healed him just because Jesus is compassionate and because Jesus is loving and because Jesus is full of grace. Jesus is also full of truth. That means the truthful, the right, the just, the holy, the truth demanded the man be healed. He wasn't healed just because God is gracious. He was healed because God is truthful. And so when Jesus heals this man on the Sabbath, it's because all of truth and all of grace demanded he be healed. the people of God, when we are interacting and, and loving those who, who may be on the outside, those who maybe the religious leaders have, have pushed out, all of grace and all of truth demands they're from, what they look like. All of grace, all of truth, demand 
demands the absence of faith. Jesus did not just heal them because he was grace, love, compassion. He healed them because of who he was. So when Jesus broke the law on the Sabbath, he stood for the heal the sick? Isn't isn't this man worth more than your ox? You you get your ox out of the ditch. You you wouldn't just leave your ox there. Keep starting to feel in this one. Why would they get their ox out of the ditch? Why would they get their ox out of the ditch? valuable it would call it, it would hurt their economics it would affect their finances they break the law to keep themselves comfortable they wouldn't break the law to bring healing to a man How often do we break the the goodness and the truth of the law because it challenges our comfort? Isn't this man worth more than your ox? And he he says, what if your son fell in? You'd get your son out. Isn't this man someone's son? You're acting like this man is is beneath you. You're acting like this man is is less valuable than your ox. You're acting like this man is is less valuable than, than your son. He is created in the image of God. Truth and grace demands he be healed. And we do that. We look at the sinner. We look at the broken. We look at the outcast. We look at those who are different than us. Those who come from a different background or a different ethnicity or a a, a different lifestyle. And we look at them and God demands that truth and grace cause us to act in a way that is loving and a way that lifts them out of the ditch and a way that brings life to them. Why would you allow, Jesus is saying, why would you allow a day, Sabbath day, to keep you from doing good? Why would you allow a day designed to bring healing and rest, prevent you from bringing healing and rest, to the man who has suffered for you. Why would you place a higher value of keeping your rules than actually keeping the heart I want to go back to the statement that Jesus made in, in the first Sabbath encounter. He said that he was Lord of the Sabbath. 
If he is Lord of the Sabbath, then he knows why the Sabbath law was written. He knows what real Sabbath keeping looks like. He knows that real Sabbath keeping looks like loving your neighbor. Real Sabbath keeping looks like doing good. Real Sabbath keeping looks like bringing hope. Real Sabbath keeping looks like giving bread. Real Sabbath keeping looks like restoring what has been mangled. Real Sabbath keeping looks like removing excess baggage. It looks like Jesus. The Sabbath looks like Jesus. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Scared with your tongue? So the final question this morning is, Lord of the Sabbath, is Jesus Lord of the I want to remind you about this word, Lord. It means master. It means one in authority. Jesus is Lord over the Sabbath. Is he Lord? Here's the problem. The Pharisees wanted to be Lord while they were looking for their Savior. They wanted Lord over others while they longed for the one who would come and save them from their enemies. We are often just like that. We long for a Savior. We want one who will deliver us from our enemies, who will save us from hell, make us comfortable. Listen, we need a Savior. We need that Savior. But have we surrendered to Jesus as Second Peter 3.18 says this, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory, both now and to the day of eternity. We need Jesus to be our Lord, and we need Jesus to be our We need to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus as both our Lord and our Savior. Are we allowing Jesus to change how we live like we've allowed Jesus to change who we are? Because as our Savior, He has changed who we are. We are a new creation in Christ. But as our Lord, He challenges to change how we live. Are we allowing Jesus to change our posture towards others like we have allowed Him to change our position in Him? Are we surrendered to the Savior? Are we letting Him change us? Are we submitted to His good plan for us? Are we following the life-giving commands that He has spoken? Are we walking in submission to the Scriptures? Not in self-righteous arrogance, but in self-sacrificial humility. Because when we really get to the crux of the matter, you can't have Jesus as Savior if you are rejecting Jesus as a There's not two Jesuses. There's not Savior Jesus who loves me no matter what, and Lord Jesus who I must surrender to. There's only one Jesus. There's Lord and Savior Jesus who loves me no matter what, and because of that great and perfect love, I willingly surrender to his He 
is Lord over the Sabbath. He is Lord over my fears, Lord over my future, Lord over my security, Lord over the economy, Lord over the church, the Lord over my sexuality, the Lord over race, the Lord over kings, the Lord over angels, and the Lord over demons. The, everything must ultimately submit to his authority. Jesus is Lord. Philippians 2, 8 through 11, you know this passage. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is Lord over the Sabbath because ultimately Jesus is Lord over everything. Everything must bow to his authority. The only question is, when will it bow? The only question is, when will you bow? The only question is, when will we submit and surrender for I promise you, the sooner you bow, the sooner you bow, the sooner you will experience all the grace and all the goodness and all the peace, all the hope, and all the love, all the joy, and all the truth that comes from growing in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Obedience doesn't mean Thank you for your word. Thank you, Jesus, that you're full of grace and truth. And that grace and truth demand And I pray this morning for those in this room who may not be walking in obedience. There may be some in this room who are not walking in obedience. I pray right now. That they, would, that they would walk in obedience and see the joy that comes from humble submission. Lord, we thank you. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed. This past Wednesday night, we're talking about sin in our, in our Bible project, Bible study. woman who was caught in the act of adultery. She did not go away changed because she was condemned. She went away changed. She did not leave a new creation because she was condemned by her accusers. She left as a new creation, changed and transformed because she, because she was not condemned by sin. Listen, church. Sin separates us from God, but when you come to Jesus, it's, it's the fact that he 
is the source. His embrace comes you do not have to walk away the same. You can walk away forgiven. You can walk away transformed. You can walk away a new creation. Made new. Not bound to sin any longer. Because God is a God who truth embraces truth. Your head's bowed, your eyes closed. You can say, you know what, Pastor Brock? I have not been walking but I want to walk in this grace. I want to walk in the truth more. Not that it's not difficult to walk in the joy and the strength. Heads bowed, eyes closed. You say, Pastor, just pray for me. Pray for me. I need this type of, of surrender. I need to walk in this type of love and this type of mercy. I, I want to experience this type of grace. Thank you for your word this morning. I pray that your word has challenged us and your word has given life. Because your word is truth. Every man be a liar, your word is truth. And we will walk We will walk in obedience. And we will experience all that this, again, this was a word that was different than last week. Last week, you guys were ready to shout. This week, you're ready to cry. My prayer is that God would, that the good word of God would produce that grace in us. Amen. Amen. And the people of God said,